Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Chicago. It truly feels like fall here, complete with all its autumnal rituals, picking apples and pumpkins, attending season openers at the opera, and watching the Bears struggle to a pathetic two and three record. <laughs> but uh, not to worry, we've got a great show for you on Opera Box Score, the nation's only opera slash sports talk radio crossover show. And to quote Colin Cowherd, one of my favorite sports talk radio hosts, wherever you are, however you're listening, Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, George Cedarquist. This week, I'm leading off with a story about the recent death of Gotham Chamber Opera. Now, this organization was one of New York City's and the nation's finest companies at producing lesser-known repertoire by well-known composers and doing so in varied and unique ways. But that all changed mysteriously last week. I'll tell you why. Giovanna Jacques is on deck with a feature about how we are seeing traditional opera houses do more and more contemporary stagings of old works. Sounds great, but is that even true? And if it is, are these productions betraying the composer's intentions? Tobias Wright is out of town working on a project in Sarasota, and through the magic of technology, we're hoping to get him onto the air. Don't hold your breath. And like all good sports talk radio, we take callers who want to have their voices heard. Have your say live on the air by calling 847-866-WNUR. That's 847-866-9687. Don't miss our Twisted Opera quiz, our opera rock cover jam session, and of course our infamous TKO segment where two opera singers face off in a steel cage death match. So keep it locked right here, right now, on 89.3 FM, WNUR, Chicago's sound experiment, streaming live at WNUR.org, and Opera Box Score. Everybody, and thank you so much for joining us here on Opera Box Score. This is George Cedar Chris welcoming you to the show and welcoming Giovanna Jacques. Hello, George. <laughs> How are you? What's been going on this week? <laughs> oh, you know, just a lot of performing, a lot of rehearsals, a lot of working. Yeah, a lot right of on. Living that artist's life in Chicago. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay, yeah. How about the weather? You've been enjoying that or oh. not really? My gosh, it is gorgeous. I was just thinking as I got lost on the Northwestern campus getting here, at least I got lost in the beautiful autumn season when it smells good, it feels good, and not in the 
dreadful, dreadful depths of winter when all I want to do is die. It's nice, isn't it? It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's really, really nice. As I said in the intro, we've got a whole bunch for you uh, this evening. Do not go away. We're going to get our notes together. We're going to get an act together. We're going to kick it off in just a few seconds here on Opera Box Score. Opera Class. Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. So, uh, as I said in the intro, the first story to begin with this evening is about Gotham Chamber Opera. And um, this is a company that uh, existed for about 15 years and has finally shut its doors. The reason why Gotham is so important is this, is that if you look at the opera landscape in New York City, uh, the biggest company, of course, is the Metropolitan Opera. And... um, They are the biggest in the nation. They're one of the biggest opera houses in the world. They will always be kind of the one that I think opera fans turn to, basically, to to see, you know, what's coming next, who is important, who are the big singers out there, what are the shows that we should be seeing. Mm -hmm. Even if the productions that they do are conservative at times, um, there's always a certain, you know, standard and a certain quality. After them, uh, the next big company in New York is, or should I say was, New York City Opera. And New York City Opera um, was started, what, 50-odd years ago? Yeah, something like that. Exactly. Beverly (laughs) Sills, who's a famous opera singer, was was the general manager for a time. And, And New York City Opera's purpose was to be a foil to to the Metropolitan Opera and basically to do shows that were done in unique ways. You mm-hmm. know, uh, it had a slightly more European sensibility. Uh, so it would take classic operas and it would reset them in bizarre places and it would update the time and the period. And this is something that, you know, Giovanna will yeah. be talking about later on in the show. Uh, New York City Opera went through a series of general managers uh, that ran that company into the ground and completely broke the bank on it. And now, Gotham Chamber Opera, which was basically the number three opera company in town, has had the same, I guess I'm going to call it a curse, has had the same curse laid down on it. And uh, it it's extremely frustrating, basically, to see yet another company fold for these um, reasons. So, you know, just going to the New York Times article, basically, this was two weeks ago, uh, the executive director announced that it had a large undisclosed deficit, and uh, the board of directors apparently didn't know about this. It was just this one guy, the executive director. Uh, he's moved on to another company already, um, San Diego Opera, which in a unique twist of fate, again had the same problem to happen to hit. Uh, this was two years ago, I think, right. it now mm-hmm. in San Diego ran into some financial difficulties, closed its doors in the middle of a season. The general manager, he was getting paid six to seven figures, oh I my think. Gosh. And he, like, he just disappeared. He's out. So, Giovanna, why is this happening, and why is history repeating itself? 
You know, I don't have the magic answer for that, but I do find that it's very interesting that the ones that are folding are also the ones that are taking risks. Because New York City Opera, Gotham Opera, San Diego Opera, they kind of took more liberties and stepped out of the box a little bit. I think the Metropolitan Opera doesn't necessarily have the liberty to do that because the patrons are of a certain amount of years of loyalty. They're pretty conservative, most likely, in terms of what they like in opera. Um, and I think, you know, I think that, that that conservative opera goer might also be the opera goer that has more money and more resources. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if maybe the newcomers of opera goers and opera fans just couldn't find not couldn't find something that that was worth watching but maybe didn't understand what was happening i'm not making myself very clear but what i'm trying to say basically is that i don't think that the there's there was enough money poured in by the audience to these companies not to mention i mean poor poor managing is poor managing yeah i mean i I think absolutely it's got to stop and end with the management because as far as i know Although I never saw a show of Gotham's, I knew directors that would work there. I knew the head conductor as, what a, a, as a colleague. The reputation was incredible. The shows, uh, I mean, just to kind of run down the list of some of them, they did a show that I saw um, at a sort of cabaret, I'm not going to call it a strip club, but like a sort of like review bar um, called Le Poisson Rouge mm-hmm. in Chelsea, Chelsea I think. And... Um, it was a it was a Handel opera, so this is like a, a 17th century work that was totally re re envisioned with like cabaret singers and topless dancers, and it was a total blast. They did a show um, in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, incorporating the various pieces of artwork in one of the galleries into the piece. It was another it was another Baroque piece. Um, I forget the title. So like people were going to the shows. The work was interesting. Um, but the bottom line was like, well, as this article in the New York Times said, people were genuinely surprised that they had these financial problems. Right. And I mean, this is, you know, when you say things like that, like that's that gets me more excited than any season I've seen at Lyric or Met or, you know, any of the big houses in a long time. Like that's that's where I see opera going is make stepping out of the box. And it's not a it's such a beautiful art form that it can defy genres. It can defy borders so i i don't i mean it's a very sad thing to have lost that creative light that was gotham opera and that the creative light is always attached to money i mean yeah. look, what these opera companies don't understand is that they are running a business you know they are in the business of making art as opposed to like i don't know coffee mugs or something um but at the bottom line these are businesses even if they're working on a not-for-profit model all that that doesn't mean that they don't make a profit. Right. All that means is that the profit is fed back into the company. Right. 847-866-WNUR. If you want to give us a call and uh, tell us what you're thinking about this, 847-866-9687. So, you know, when these executive directors don't have the financial acumen, the business acumen. They don't really need to know anything about opera, honestly, in my opinion. Well, that's the sad thing, isn't it? Well, I mean, clearly they don't. They need an MBA. They need to have some deep pockets. They need to know people with deep pockets. And they need to 
you know, dot the I's, cross the T's, have total transparency like any other good multinational, you know, crude oil concern. It, it, there really is no difference, in my opinion, right. between um, the business of running an opera company and the business of running a, a factory. Right. Yeah. So rest in peace, Gotham Chamber Opera. Uh, Maybe it'll come back. Yeah. San Diego kind of sort of came back. It's true. I mean, San Diego Opera is back in business. Um, New York City Opera is in this long, drawn-out process of people, like, trying to buy the company and finance the company, and there's lawsuits and court cases, and it's just... It, well, it's A, really complicated, and B, it's extremely ugly. Uh, so, you know, we, we will see how they can how they can figure it out we're going to step aside here for one second keep it right here on 89.3 WNUR also streaming live at our website WNUR.org live from Chicago you're listening to Opera Box Score with George, Tobias, and Giovanna. Pop quiz. Oh, boy. And we are back here. Welcome back to the show, Opera Box Score on WNUR. 89.3 FM in... Evanston, Illinois, in the Northwestern University campus, Chicago's Sound Experiment. Time for pop quiz. Ah! <laughs> oh boy, is right. Oh boy, is right. Um, oh my gosh. This is the segment in our show, which you know, for months, the lovely Javana Jacques was writing the questions, and uh, Tobias and I would go head to head, answering them. Uh, and it was always a bit of an embarrassment because they were too hard and then they were too easy. <laughs> and then I won for, I was undefeated for a long time and then Tobias finally won, uh, including our last show when Tobias won because he cheated. What happened was there was one very difficult question about the last living castrato singer <laughs> and... Javana told him the answer before we went on the okay, air. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I was forced to, to tell him the answer. <laughs> what, at gunpoint? <laughs> Pretty low, but almost, without the gun, at point. Yeah, well, it's it was... It was cheating, pure and simple. So after the show, I got home, and uh, it turned out that my son, Ben, and my daughter, Julia, had been with their babysitter, Holly, and uh, she kept them up and let them listen to the first half of the show, so they got to stay up past their bedtime. Um, and the next morning when I talked to Ben, he was like, it was so unfair that that guy cheated and you lost. I was like, well, yeah. And he says, I'm going to write the questions so that he didn't say justice was served, but clearly he meant justice would be served. And so Ben, my six-year-old, has written the questions for this edition of Pop Quiz. I'm now going to ask Javana them. Toby, if you're out there listening, I'm taking one for the team right now. <laughs> and we're going to see how well Javana can do. Okay, so thanks. here we go. Thank you again, Ben, for writing the questions for us. Number one, what is the most famous opera house in Australia? The Sydney Opera House. Okay, you got it. 
Good job. You're one for one so far. Number two, when was Mozart born? Oh, God. Uh, I'm not even going to pretend to know that. Uh, if, if you can get the right decade, we'll, we'll give you half a point. You're going to get the right century, I would assume. But the right decade will be... The 21st will get... century, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Okay, let's say in... No, I'm gonna make my. I'm gonna. I'm really bad with dates, George. I'm gonna make a fool. Now of myself. you see what it feels like, Giovanna. Yeah, I do. I feel really bad. Except now I'm solo. You had Toby to take the brunt of the shame. To pretend to know what he was do- talking yes. about. Yes. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, Seventeen hundred. So you got you got the century right. I'm looking for the decade here. What decade of the 1700s? Seventeen twenty. Eh, 1756 is when Mozart was born. So you're going to get zero for that. That's fair. Um, Number three, and again, thank you, Ben, for writing these for me. It shows you how much my six-year-old knows about opera. Here we go. Number three. What is Mozart's most famous opera? Oh, The Marriage of Figaro. Eh, It's The Magic Flute. That is not true. (laughs) How is that true? No one likes the magic flute. Are you picking on a six-year-old? Yes, I'm picking on a six-year-old. Oh, my goodness. Nobody likes the magic flute. Don't you look after small children during the day? Uh, Not anymore. (laughs) I quit that job a long time ago. Certainly not looking after my kids. No. No, his most famous opera, according to Ben, is the magic flute. Okay, well. Here we go. Number four. What time did Mozart die? (laughs) (laughs) He died in the night. At 11.07 p.m. <laughs> it's funny because I, I, that was my same thing. I was like, wait, what time did he die? Like, probably in the middle of the night. He's like, yeah, what, what, what time? What year? So he meant what year oh. did Mozart die, even though he said what time. So you got zero because you didn't give a year. Um, but just, just to put you on the spot, <laughs> would, would you like to give a year that Mozart died? You really should know this one. It's the same year he wrote um, uh, Magic Flute. Please Okay, George, you are, you have the biggest, you guys can't see this, but George has the biggest smirk on his face. This is like the best half hour of my week. Um, he died at, okay, he died in 1770, you know what, this is why I make the questions and I don't answer them, because I was asleep for most of my opera history classes. 1773. Yeah, 1791 17, was when was when Mozart died. Okay. Uh, here we go. So you've gotten one. No, I've gotten two actually. What was the other one? You're right. I've only gotten one. Yeah, you said you said Marriage of Figaro. Yeah, which I still believe is right. You should actually, folks, give us a call on that. What is Mozart's famous most famous opera? Eight four seven eight six six W N U R. Eight four seven eight six six nine six eight seven. Here we go. Last question. Where did they first sing Waltzing Matilda in an opera house? Uh, Berlin? The correct answer is the Sydney Opera House. The Sydney Opera House. Good to know. It being an Australian song. I do think Ben made that one up. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) apart from that... (laughs) Okay, this is cheating, too, though, because these aren't true. Well, uh, three of them are absolutely true. Three the, out the of fourth, five. The fourth is debatable. And the fifth one about Watson Matilda, I mean, that does make sense. 
that it's it's a typical Australian song and that they probably Fine. would sing it Fine. in the Sydney Opera House. Fine. So justice has been served. Um, Good job, Ben. You have reamed me. Thanks, Ben, for uh, helping us out with those questions. We're going to take a short break here. Step aside for some PSAs. Keep it right here. 89.3 and WNUR. You can't control where it lands, only what happens before it does. Simple steps to adapt to wildfire helps keep this from turning into this. Your home is better protected from wildfire when your whole community is prepared. Visit fireadapted.org for tips to get started today. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Airline pilots keep thousands of people safe each day. When they're in the cockpit, they must be focused. And when you're driving, you should be focused too. Texting while driving on Illinois roads is illegal and deadly. Drive now, text later. You can't do both. This message brought to you by the Illinois Tollway State Police, Department of Transportation, Secretary of State, and AAA. If you lost a tree during the hurricane, it's more than a nuisance. It's a loss of quality of life and property value. Florida lost millions of trees statewide, and our community health and property values have suffered. Research shows that properly planted and maintained trees survive and cause less damage, create positive property value and community health. Protect yourself and your investments. Maintain your trees by calling your local certified arborist to inspect them. Together, we can create healthy trees for healthy cities. Trees for Florida. Visit treesarecool.com. Opera class. Sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. And we are back on Opera Box Score. Happy Monday, everybody. Uh, For those of you who are keeping it tuned right here to us, 89.3 FM, and trying to keep a track of the Cubs game as well. The Cubs, of course, playing their third game in the series against the Cardinals in the postseason here. Uh, Cubs up 8-4. At the bottom of the eighth. So it looks like they're going to close this one out. Game four tomorrow night at Wrigley Field. So if you live in the neighborhood, do not go anywhere near Wrigley Field. It, it's kind of the most awful place on earth. It is. I lived there my sophomore year of college. And I, I've, I've never disliked living in a place in Chicago so very much. Yeah, it's it sort awful. of a dreadful place. Truly. I, l- last show, my, my bad call at the end of the show is about the Cubs making the postseason. And it just it wreaks havoc for everybody. It does. Here Cubs we are. fans are the worst fans. They, 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 oh my gosh. Yeah. If, if this, I'm not going to say it, but if this team goes all the way, this town will be burnt to the ground. Oh, yeah. I'm leaving. It just, Goodbye. Yeah, dreadful. Uh, back to business. Chalk Talk Part 2. Giovanna, take it away. Okay. First of all, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge how much I love the way my voice is announced on this Chalk Talk announcement. 
Giovanna Jacques. <laughs> Love that. I'm Thank glad you, you like it. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, so when I was looking up stuff to talk about for my Chalk Talk, I came across the uh, Lyric Opera's version of The Marriage of Figaro, which is, by the way, M- Mozart's most famous opera. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I saw all on Facebook, every single person, singer, that I knew was like, oh my gosh, this is the best opera, blah, blah, blah. It's the best version of The Marriage of Figaro that we've ever seen. It's set, it's got these great costumes, it's very overtly sexual, it's very overtly liberal i guess i would say this particular production yeah this particular production Mm -hmm. so i got very interested in it and it brought up a larger question that i've asked myself several times throughout my singing career and just in singing seeing different shows which is how do you know if you're honoring what the composer wanted um i mean i'm sure given that we how much we know about mozart which is that he had a lot of flair I'm sure he would have agreed with this production. Mm-hmm. But thinking about other productions, Lyric did a, uh, a version of Hercules, I think it was three or four years back, that was set in um, the 20... F- uh, it was actually the 21st century uh, where Hercules was coming back from Afghanistan. Exactly. It was directed by Peter Sellers, yeah. who is probably, I would say, the most famous American director working out there today. Well, that's great. But it was awful. And... It was like just, it was, it made no sense. It was so boring, ridiculously boring, which to, to his, to his credit was more the fact that it was Hercules written by Handel. Right. It's actual, true. Yeah. Like, I mean, what the, the, the concept is cool. It's just that it doesn't always work. It's either hit or miss. And when, when you hit it, oh man, it's great. And it's so cool. And it's this whole other side of the opera that you hadn't thought about. But when you miss... You really, really miss. Mm. And, I mean, a, a bunch of... I've noticed that that's kind of the trend, you know, of... And, and I agree. You want you want to bring out opera. You want to make it more accessible today. We need to get people seeing opera. We need to get this art form to stop slowly dying at the rate that it is. Or should I say quickly dying at the rate mm-hmm. that it is. So I get that. But, I mean, what do you, what do you think? What, what, do you, what do you all think? Is this... Are we betraying the composer's idea? Are we dishonoring that i mean i don't think we are you know look when and let's take marriage of figaro right so when that was first done in what it's the late 1770s early 1780s um when that was done it was done the way mozart wanted it to be done with the technology that he had and with the audience that he had sure but the thing about good art is that it's always about the here and the now. Right. And it always reflects the moment that we're living in, and it always, in a theatrical sense, it always uses the technology that we have. Uh, It uses the references that we have, whether those are historical references, whether those are pop culture references. So for me, um, updating the time and the period of the action, finding new ways to tell old stories absolutely can serve the composer's intentions. Okay. But what happens when the story is so deeply set in a particular era that it just is clumsy in any other? Like Cleopatra. There are so many things that co- that go along with Cleopatra's story or Julius Caesar's story. story. So... Why is it that certain operas work? I mean, I guess, you know, it's a question of how it's set, but certain operas work so well in today's era or in a futuristic era. 
and some just there are so many like the mythical creatures there are so, there's a language issue of how english was trend you know put into text back then that i i just i don't know it's i don't have an i don't have an opinion because i don't have enough answers well it's a question of taste to me the idea of a direct update into a specific period that is not a taste that I find interesting in any way. So let me give you an example. Uh, the Elixir of Love, which is an opera by Donizetti, it's set during a period of, of war. Right. And one common interpretation of that is like, hey, we're going to update the thing so it's in the middle of the American Civil War. Or like, these soldiers are all coming back from World War II and the girls are all dressed like Rosie the Riveter. And what happens is that like, a starts to equal B, and C starts to equal D, and there becomes this direct translation of this thing becomes this the other thing, which is extremely reductive and very, very boring. And right. P.S. has been done like 10,000 times before. Like, yeah. we have all seen that World War II setting of the elixir of love. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, what I'm advocating for when I say new stories in old ways is that uh, what I want to see is minimalism to the point of abstraction. Like, I want to cut that work down to its bare essentials, which is music, text, and the absolute bare minimum that we need on the stage. Right. Uh, this happens to be like my aesthetic as a director and these are the sorts of works that I find interesting because then like you can r really follow the story. There's no spectacle, but I'm, I've never really thought opera was about spectacle anyway. Like Aida by Verdi, you know, the opera with the big triumphal march where there's a cast of thousands and there's animals and there's soldiers wandering around. Like it's never been about that to me. Like I feel like the spectacle is in the music. So when that is staged it becomes reductive because the action, the staging, the design is doing the same thing as the music. And in fact, what you want, in my opinion, is a tension between the story that the music is telling and the story that you're seeing on stage. And the way to achieve that is through a certain breed of minimalism. Right. But for such shows as Aida, sometimes it's nice to just see, you know... a kind of like yeah maybe it is redundant but it's a it's i mean it's grand it's it's huge it's amazing and you get to see that on stage as well um and that's that's huge i mean that's amazing i think you know when you were talking about <clears throat> gotham opera earlier and how they set an opera in a cabaret that's cool to me i think that's really cool taking the resources that we have today and setting something if it can lend itself to be set Absolutely. Have a think about it. Give us a call. 847-866-9687. Question on the table. Old stories, new ways. Are opera houses truly traditional? Are they able to come up with something new? Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and uh, we're going to be back with our instant replay segment right after this. Instant replay, 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 replay on Opera Box Score with George, Tobias, and Giovanna. 
And we are back for Instant Replay. This is a segment that we added to the show relatively recently. One of our listeners called and was like, how come you never actually play any opera music on the show? And I was like, well, I don't know. I didn't think anybody really wanted to listen to that, but apparently they do. So what we do is we we find a a classic opera song or an opera aria that's relatively well-known, play that for you guys, Uh, and then we do an instant replay of it. We play the same song in a different version in some sort of a pop or rock setting. The show tonight, uh, the opera is um, The Rise and Fall of the City of Mahogany, which is by Kurt Weill with text and lyrics by Bertolt Brecht. And uh, the song is called Alabama Song. And um, Jim Morrison, who played with The Doors, of course, did a cover of this song, uh, which is it's fairly mainstream. Some of you may have heard it before, um, but it, it's fun in the way it kind of captures the original part of the, um, the Kurt Vile. So uh, we'll give this a play for you guys. We're going to grab a drink of water, come back with a second half of our show right after Instant Replay.
ask why. Oh, don't ask why. For we must find the next little dollar. For if we don't find the next little dollar, I tell you we must die. I tell you we must die. I tell you, I tell you, I tell you we must die. Instant replay, replay, replay. Whiskey bar, I tell you we must die. 
your kids safe on the way to school is a bus driver's responsibility. When that driver is behind the wheel, they should be focused. And when you're driving, you should be focused too. Texting while driving on Illinois roads is illegal and deadly. Drive now, text later. You can't do both. This message brought to you by the Illinois Tollway State Police, Department of Transportation, Secretary of State, and AAA. This is a test to find out if you know it all when it comes to children. Name one of the leading killers of U.S. children age 1 to 13. What's the best way to protect children in a car crash? At what age and size should a child start using a booster seat? Don't assume you know it all when it comes to car seats for your child. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat and know for sure. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. On the OBS with George Cedarquist, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. And we are back on Opera Box. Welcome back to the show. For those of you who are tuning in uh, the second half here, Welcome. Welcome to our old fans. Welcome to our new listeners. And for those of you who are joining us for the very first time, let me just outline for you what we do on this show. We are the only show in America where we treat opera like a sport. No one else articulates their passion like us. We talk about opera singers, opera productions, opera repertoire, opera gossip with the mania of sports fans. We are the only show in America where we praise those who deserve it and when we rip those who deserve it. No one else educates and entertains like we do. We are the only show in America where you get to have your say live on the air. No one else is live like us. You have a question for us? Give us a call. You think we're picking on somebody? Give us a call. You think we're awesome? Definitely give us a call. 847. Just call me, though. Just call Giovanna. 847-866-9687. You can't hear this stuff anywhere else except right here, right now, WNUR 89.3 FM Opera Box Score. We are close to the finish line here. We're into the TKO segment. Quick setup for you. We take two opera singers, we put them in a steel cage death match, and we place bets on who we think uh, would be victorious. And uh, we're not talking about their ability to sing. We're talking about tenacity, looks, strength. And usually the third man on the show, Tobias Wright, backs one of them, and Giovanna backs the other, and then I uh, decide who's the winner. Toby's out of town this week, so... Giovanna and I are just going to advocate and, uh, you know, listeners, you guys can give us a call and let us know who you think. In my corner 
is the lyric soprano Amanda Majeski, who is actually a graduate of Northwestern University, and she is singing in this production of the Marriage of Figaro at Lyric Opera right now that we have uh, been talking about. Um, she's not that old, too. I mean, she's definitely younger than me. I mean, I think she's in, like, her late 20s, probably. Uh, she's a total stunner, knockout, beautiful gal as well. Um and uh, has just her career has just really blown up and taken off. I mean, this is like international level we're talking about here. So that's her background. I'm going to throw it over to Giovanna and then we can kind of fight this out. I'm backing Isabel Leonard, who is kind of the other big soprano at Lyric this season, who is singing in Cinderella. And I, haven't, I have something to admit to all of you, which is that Isabel Leonard is my girl crush. Because she is <laughs> so gorgeous. Yeah, she's also smoking she's hot. She's amazingly talented. And she's really articulate when she speaks. And I think that because of her passion and kind of her fiery abilities when she sings, I think that she would knock Amanda right out of the ring. No offense to you, Amanda. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've never met Amanda. I sort of know her, you know, friend of a friend, Isabel. I've not met. I'm just going off the their websites here. I, I mean, I will say, Isabel, like, she's she's pretty buff. She is. She's pretty jacked. She's she's pretty. Buff. Uh, and she's got this great headshot here where she's wearing like a black dress on a black background with like this dramatic side lighting, and yeah, it looks like she's gonna. She's gonna punch Amanda's like, face. bite your arm. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean that in a nice way. Um, you know, whereas Amanda, again, this is just going it's off so the sweet. website. It's, so it's like kind. super sweet. She's got, you know, some like nice lip gloss and some nice jewelry and, and uh, um, not panda eyes. What do you, it's, this is the mascara. Adams. Mascara. No, no, no. Like the, the look, the effect oh, of the. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, clearly <laughs> George loves his makeup. Guys, my my wife um, does not wear it. You know, I will say makeup. that I think um, Amanda and Isabel should be switched in their roles at Lyric. Not 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 because of voices, but I could see Amanda more of a Cinderella type person, and Isabel Leonard. Amanda sings Count Countess Amaviva, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I could see Isabel Leonard more of a the Countess like figure. You know, you know, I totally agree with you. Again, I'm just yeah. going off the websites here and the headshots. Yeah. Uh, I think so that's rarely a f- does that happen. I, no, I think that's a fantastic point, actually. Um, you know, the side note to this is, you know, so Lyric is doing Cinderella, and all over their website, they call it Cinderella. They don't call it Cenerentola. Uh, I, I just don't understand. Are they doing it in English? Well, maybe they are. Uh, but even if they were, like... That's not actually the name of the piece. So everybody out there listening to us on this fine autumn night, I would like to tell you how much George loves Cinderella. He thinks it is the <laughs> best show ever. I Look, I've directed one of the duets from Cinderella, and it was absolutely hilarious. So, it, I mean, it has its moments. And the more I listen to the works of Rossini, the more I get into them. They are incredibly hard to do sure. well because they are just so fast they're always very funny or i should say they have the potential mm-hmm. to be very funny uh man they're really really tricky material uh, back to the fight i mean i guess this one i thought it was going to be a draw Isabel, but Isabel, yeah i think Isabel, i think elizabeth leonard's gonna gonna take her down you take her Isabel. i yeah i don't um again amanda if you're listening we do love you we do support you we are very proud of you 
Just in this very moment, Isabel wins. (laughs) We're going to step aside for a second. We'll be right back. WNUR 89.3 FM, Chicago's Sound Experiment. We're streaming live, WNUR.org. Keep it tuned right here to Opera Box Score. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. And we are back here with Good Call, Bad Call. Um, it's kind of our parting shot here on the show where we we think about the last couple weeks since the last show. We are on every Monday night. That is to say every fortnight. So alternating Mondays. Our next show is Monday, October 26th, 8 o'clock, 9 Eastern. We finish up the show with a segment called Good Call, Bad Call. Uh, what good or bad has has happened this week. And um, you're going to kick it off. Yes, I am. I am so excited to talk about Hopscotch, which is dubbed the Asphalt Opera, which is taking place in the streets of L.A. right now. And I read this article just, you know, I was perusing through Facebook, being a stalker, found this article, and fell in love with the concept. I think it's so cool. So basically what's happening is Los Angeles... um, So, okay, sorry. Let me back up. The way the opera is taking place is in 24 different cars on the roads of Los Angeles. So all of these, all of what's taking place in the cars is being filmed in the central hub in downtown Los Angeles where people can watch for free. But the tickets to go in the cars as the scenes are taking place are pretty pricey. Um, What's really amazing about it is that it's a time lapse. So the 24 cars aren't driving around at the same time. Hmm. It's, in, it's in teams of eight, if I understand correctly. So it's a story of a, a, a girl growing up in um, East L.A. So she's Hispanic. She's, she's the, you know, the first one is her later in life. And then there's a time hop backwards to her quinceanera. And she's talking about, you know, she's so hopeful and love. And then you kind of see her trajectory And I just think, you know, I was reading this article that the L.A. Times did, and it's just so cool. Hmm. Like, what? who thought of that? Who who was like, oh, I'm just going to set this in a car? I mean, that's incredible to me that he, that Sharon did that. Um, I think it's amazing. Um, And I don't know, what do you think? Well, yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you who did it. It is this guy, Yuval Sharon is his name. He's, oh, he's uh, part of the tribe. Um, and uh, I, I met him, you know, colleague of mine. Uh-huh. Uh, he's the guy who thought this up. And um, it, it's a fantastic idea. You know, I, I think we're all agreed on this show that what opera needs to do is get out of the opera house. Yes, 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 yes. Is that it is literally the the edifice of the opera house is what's killing opera here is because people are looking around themselves and saying, you know what? I don't belong here. Yep. I don't belong around all this gold. I don't belong around these velvet seats. I don't belong around these fancy tuxedos, fancy dresses. This ain't my party. And, and so what we're trying to do is, is take off to a different place and, and, and get it out. And Hey, uh, you've all put it into a whole bunch of cars. I think it's, 
such an amazing idea. And, and what a way to set a story in L.A. and actually set it in the streets of L.A. It's, it's, it's a brilliant um, metaphor, I guess, you know, for, for the idea. I will say, having read about it, the tickets are, I think they're like 120 or $150 which is I tell you exactly 125 for a vehicle seat and 155 for, for a, a fender. Seat. No, so in the <laughs> in the morning shows, it's 125. 155 is for the 245 show, which includes the grand finale at the Central Hub. But it. it's free for the on screen in the Central okay. Hub, so okay. you can go see it for free. So there's a, there's a range of of ways to to take it in. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's good because I saw that I was like, that's. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I could drop 125. I mean, I wouldn't, but I would totally go and see it in the screens. Yeah, I think what's amazing is that Sharon uses LA as the backdrop. Like the the, you know, you see, you look out the window and there are people walking by with Starbucks, and there's this woman in the car singing her ear, you know, singing her heart out in front of you, and you're feeling all the vibrations of her body, and yet you look outside and and no one knows. Like it's so raw. It's so raw, it's so layered, it's so um, uh, clearly unique. Yes. You know? Uh, and, and, I mean, it's a cast of, well, it's a cast of thousands in terms of, like, it just has Los Angelinos who don't know they're in their show, mm-hmm. or they're part of the show. Mm-hmm. But even just the collaborative team on this and the performers, I mean, it's in the hundreds, I think. It's amazing. Can't imagine how we got the money together to do it. Well, at 155 a ticket. Yeah, that's that's true. So there aren't that many seats. But. I have a bad call this week. Um, a colleague of mine out in the industry, it's a director whose name is Katura Stikan. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I read on my Facebook feed uh, that she got married to the love of her life, a man called Jeremiah Grunblatt, uh, only for uh, him to be killed in a car crash three days later after their wedding. And... Um, didn't know her personally, had never met him. How could you fail to be mo- not it's be moved so sad. by that? It doesn't matter who you are. That, uh, that sort of loss, whether that was three days or three months or three years or 30 years, is, is unbelievable. Um, there's a link on a website called GoFundMe.com. GoFundMe.com. And if you search for Jeremiah's name, Jeremiah Grunblatt, G-R-U-N-B-L-A-T-T, you can contribute, you can throw some money uh, towards the family, towards the next stage in her life. So uh, thinking about her, thinking about her loss. We're and sending you love. Hoping that, that um, you know, a new day can dawn and uh, that there can be a turn up in life for you. is our shot clock buzzer which is telling us we're out of time on this episode of Opera Box Score. Our executive producer is Eric Rita and our announcer is Norm Waddell. Special thanks to our creative consultant Rob Steele. Right now, you're rocking out to Vodka Inferno by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. Hey, you! Let us know what you think of the show. Email us operaboxscore at gmail.com or tweet about us at Opera Box Score. You can also visit our brand spanking new website at operaboxscore.wix.com.
Wix.com. Wix is W-I-X. We're back on Monday, October 26th at 8 p.m. 9 Eastern and with Halloween approaching fast. That show will terrify you. Don't miss it. <laughs> for Giovanna Jacques and Tobias Wright, this is George Cedarquist saying so long from Chicago. You're listening to WNUR 89.3 FM, Chicago's Sound Experiment. Good night. Swears he never leave, he never leave.